Well, as we dig into the word, we pick up with the final part of who we are as a body of believers. And if you have hung around this place very long, you know that John Wharton's word is mantra. This is who we are. We glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. And so we spent a week talking about glorifying God and, and setting the, the foundation of everything we do. If we exist to glorify God, it changes how we think. And even in Sunday school this morning, we were talking about being compassionate and, and looking at what God says about loving our enemies and blessing those who curse us and you know being kind and compassionate to those we hate it makes no worldly sense but if we exist to give God glory then it certainly makes sense outside of our natural desire to punch somebody in the face right and so first week we glorify God. We focused on that part. Last week we focused on being disciples and what it means to be a disciple, the definition. And we talked about the, the characteristics and the transformed heart and mind and will and everything about us being transformed by the power of God for His glory. But then today, the final part of that is making disciples. And we know, if we've been around long, or if you've attended the, the membership class for the church, you know this statement. In fact, all of us have agreed that we are this type of person. We glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. And so... It is very clear in God's Word that disciple-making is not optional for the Christian. And this is one of those piercing truths that can be painful if we have chosen to opt out of making disciples personally. And so, my purpose here today is we open the word is that we don't fall into the trap of the church in this era of making discipleship optional because the Bible doesn't make it optional at all for the Christian. And so if you think about this, God is a very efficient God. He gives us a purpose and when we are done with that purpose, we go to be with Him. God left us on this earth for this mission of making disciples. If Otherwise, He would have taken us to be with Him the day we were first saved. I've heard it joked about that if we weren't left here to make disciples, then when you were baptized, you just stay under. 
But this is the, this is the issue that we deal with as Abundant Hope Baptist Church, <clears throat> but pick a name any church. Will we glorify God by being disciples who make disciples? So if you would, find in your Bibles Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. I want to start in verse 16. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through the end, through verse 20. And if you would, with your Bibles open, would you stand as we read the, the Great Commission? Important words to the church, important words for the church. A verse, a passage that is vital to us. We proclaim it. And I want us to read it. The Bible says in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we read your word, I pray that you would help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Lord, I pray that your spirit within us properly defines for our heart what it means to be yours. And Lord, I pray that even beyond that, that you would make making disciples cause us great joy. Help us to not fear it or loathe it or resist it. But Lord, if your word is true, and I believe it is, and we are told to make disciples, then such an important purpose for our lives shouldn't cause us such negative feelings to make us avoid such an important thing of our lives. And so Lord, I pray that you would teach us and empower us, direct us, to obey you for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So I want in the, in the time that we have together is address four core components about making disciples. And hopefully you have heard these before. I want to say them so much and so often that it is etched in our memories and etched into our heart. And, but before we get into these four core components, I want us to look at the first part in, in verse 18. The all authority phrase. 
when he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want us to see the importance of that. This is important. Because this is the foundation on which is laid the command to make disciples. His authority is vital to us. Not just that... Like when when I was a kid, you know, I'm one of six kids. And if one of my siblings came to me telling me something like... Come in, it's time to eat dinner. I may or may not listen to them and come in and eat dinner. And if I thought they were a jerk that day, or I thought they stink, or I didn't like them, or I didn't want to be with them, I may or may not go in and do anything they say. But if they came to me and said, Daddy says it's dinner time, come to eat, that changes things, doesn't it? So all authority was given to my sibling to speak on behalf of my father to make me act. That changes everything. Jesus is coming to them and saying, all authority has been given to me. And I'm speaking to you a command. Jesus is the authority. He is our authority. And when he says to do something... We do something, right? Or else, there are consequences. And so, Jesus is saying from the start that He is Lord over everyone and over everything. Authority in heaven and on earth has been given. And so, this Jesus who has this authority over everything in heaven and on earth has already lived the the perfect life died, been raised from the dead, and he is Lord. And so, as I say this, as I speak of this authority that Jesus has, listen to, I want you to hear this passage from Philippians chapter 2, in verse 9 and following. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so this authority is the basis of the command to make disciples. He is Lord. And And what that means for us as his disciples, we talked about it last week, we are his disciples. That means he is in authority, he is Lord, he gets to make that call. And so he can, as we have surrendered our lives to him, he gets to tell us where we go. He gets to tell us, do we stay here? And so as Christians, if we have surrendered the right to determine the direction of our lives, then he can lead you to stay right here in Gates County or this area. Or he can lead you to go to another part of the world. The bottom line is, 
He gets to make that call because he is Lord. And all authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth. And so in this, in this short passage, there's one imperative. And in the, when you go to English class and you study these things, even if it makes you sick, get this. An imperative is... <clears throat> Is a command. It is the 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 thing that you do, right? And so, of all of these things in this text, there's one. There's one imperative, and it's it's surrounded by three participles. And I won't go any further than that because I want you to stay awake. But the one imperative is make disciples. It's it. Make disciples. The three participles are going, baptizing, teaching. But one command, make disciples. So the participle, it describes how we go about fulfilling the command. And so, with all of that in mind, let's get to the four core components about making disciples. I hope as I say these that it it piques your mind that you remember. But the first one is share the word. Share the word. This is the going. This is the going when therefore go. Go. Go share the gospel. This is evangelism. Go share the good news. And this authoritative God has given us the command to make disciples. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples. So this authority. And what I want to, to help us to see, I think the challenge for the modern day church is this. Jesus was not telling the disciples to go down this mountain and disciple one another for the rest of their lives. He wasn't telling them to get together and you just you learn the word and you just get stronger and stronger and stronger in your faith and that's it. But I believe that if we're not careful, this is what we will do. He said, go make disciples. He didn't tell these 11 to focus on these 11. He told these 11 to be disciples, go make disciples of the nations, the ethne, the people groups of the world. And so we have to be very careful that we don't spend our lives defining discipleship as just us getting stronger, but going and make disciples of those who don't yet know Christ. This go share the word. And so they told them to go find the people that don't already know Christ and tell them the good news. This is good news. And so bring this to our place. Where are you personally? 
Who are you sharing the gospel with? Do you intend to share the gospel? And I think just another nuance of this is we want to make sure that we don't we don't feel that we have to get to this certain high level of spiritual maturity before we share with someone who doesn't know Christ of the gospel. Does that make sense? I believe there are some who do not share the gospel because they're afraid that people will respond with questions or whatever. But one day when I am a deacon or one day when I've been at church 20 years or sat in Sunday school or I teach Sunday school or whatever, then I will be equipped properly to share the gospel. But that is certainly not biblical. Time and time again, we see in the gospels where someone comes to faith in Christ and the first thing they do is go and tell. And so let us hear this word. And I've heard a story told about people who come to faith in Christ in, in areas where it's not popular or perhaps even legal to know Christ and still people trust Christ. And so in the discipleship process, the person who leads these particular people to Christ, they say, Here's what I want you to do. Make a list of, of everyone you know who doesn't know Christ. And now go through that list and circle the five people on that list that are least likely to kill you when they hear the gospel. And immediately go tell them. And this isn't in Bible times. This was in 2014, and I'm sure it's probably the same today. And so, right now, we live in a world, <clears throat> in this culture, where you don't have to make a list and see who's going to kill you if, you if you share the gospel with them. And so, would you consider this? Would you consider making a list of all the people you know and then as you pray for courage circle the people that God lays on your heart that are most likely to hear most likely open to the gospel and take that action step and share the gospel. Share what you know. Share what you know that led you to trust Christ. So that is share the word. Secondly, we go from share the word to show the word. Show the word. And that means you're living it. This is baptism. And baptism in the first century church was a little different than baptism in America because people in America thus far don't go around killing people for knowing Jesus. But imagine what it meant in the first century church 
when they would share the gospel, someone would accept the gospel, and one of the first steps of obedience is to be baptized. Well, everybody didn't have bathtubs in their house, or they didn't have church buildings with baptistries in them, and so you went to a body of water that a person could fit in to be baptized. And those are outside. And so if you are dunked, people notice that in public. And when they see that, they see that you are identifying with Christ. You are now publicly identified with Him. And so, you are taking on whatever it means to be a Christian. Acts 2, the early church, Acts 2.38, when Peter is speaking to the people, and as he lays this all out about sharing the gospel, he shared the gospel with the people, and they said, he says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And in verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized. And this identity, you're showing the word by being baptized. And baptism is a beautiful picture of the gospel. You're buried with Christ in baptism. You're raised to walk in newness of life. And just as when you go under the water, it is a picture of the death of Christ. But as you come out of the water, it's the picture of being raised from the dead just as Christ was raised from the dead. It is showing the Word. And you see that Matthew 3, Jesus was baptized. Showing, showing the gospel. It's identifying with the life of Christ. It's identifying with the body of Christ. It's, I'm with these guys. And so an, a new believer is a part of, of Christ as his child. But a new believer is also a part of, of God's family. For better or for worse, right? We're a family. Even the weird parts, right? And so, if you were to lead someone to Christ, how are you going to ensure that they learn to grow? Think through this. What would you do? Would you give them a book? <clears throat> would you sign them up for a class? Would you invite them to, to this or to that? You know, how about spending time with them personally and sitting down with them and showing them how you read the Bible, showing them how you study the Bible, how you pray and how you live life and it would make much more sense to invite them to your house with a mask or not to watch them 
to watch you interact with your family as you are a believer and because you've been transformed in your heart, in your mind, your will. And you are transformed. And so everything that you do, everything that you say is filtered through a biblical worldview, a perspective of one whose heart is owned by Christ. And so they will watch what you say at the dinner table. They watch how you act with your children. They watch when you pray. And and so we show the word. We show it as we're baptized. We show it as we go through life. And, And what else? Another thing this does, as you show them, it helps you. It spurs you and I on to growth. And there's no doubt, there's no doubt, if you have ever taught a class, Mr. Whistler, as you prepare for teaching Sunday school, there's no doubt that you learn in the process. There is no doubt. I've thought about this. If, if I were going to take music lessons from someone, you know, from, from Mike as a drummer or Ryan as a guitarist, if I were to take lessons, I am sure that in them giving me lessons, it spurs them on to playing properly. And to make sure I know why I'm playing this way or, or the timing like this or reading the music like this. And what I'm saying is, if you teach something, it helps you to learn it. It helps to spur you on to knowing it better. If you are telling somebody, if you are making a YouTube video on anything that you know how to do and you're teaching somebody how to do it, before you hit the, the record button, you're thinking through, wait, am I doing this right? Am I doing this the right way? Am I using the right tools? Or The same is true with showing the Word. I believe that we will plateau in our growth until we are mentoring someone else to grow. Show the Word. Number three, teach the word. Teach the word. and There is certainly some overlap here of showing the word and teaching the word. But He says in the text, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I pictured Deuteronomy 6. And this is the as you were going. Deuteronomy 6, when it says, you know, talk about it when you're walking along your way. Put it on your forehead. and I mean, everything is a way of life. Live this. Every day, every, every hour, everything you do, this. Teach the Word. And as a, as a church member... When we have the, the membership classes and, and things such as that, we talk about 
are you a receiver of the word or a reproducer of the word? Are you just soaking it in or are you soaking it in to reproduce it in others? And it makes a difference. My dad, he worked with cash registers and ad machines, typewriters and stuff like that, business machines. He was a fix-it of all of that kind of stuff. And and so just like now, when there's new technology, he would have to go to schools all over the country and learn how to use this and how it's supposed to work so he would know how to fix it. But he would go to a school that that also had people coming who were just in class to get a certificate or a degree in order to perhaps get a better pay in their job or whatever. But he said you could tell a difference of who was in the class knowing that they had to go home and use this to fix stuff and those who just wanted a certificate. Because he said he would take notes And he said that in some of the classes, because the teacher would want everybody to make good grades, he would give them the answers to the test. And he says, I don't want the answers to the test. I don't care how well I do in this class. My boss doesn't care. He cares that I'm able to fix these things and teach the people in our office how to to fix these things when they're broken next week. When our salesman sells them, I need to know how to repair them. And so... He's not just a receiver of information to pass a test. He is a reproducer. He needs to be able to do it and teach somebody else how to do it. So think about that in the perspective of the way that we learn. If we're sitting in Bible study and all we want to do is do really well in Bible trivia, that makes a difference in the way we receive. But if we are taking what we're learning in this Bible study and teaching it to someone else throughout the week, then we listen differently. Not as just a receiver, but a reproducer as we teach the Word. And then, finally, number four, we go from share the Word, show the Word, teach the Word, and then serve the world. We serve the world. and So we make disciples. One, two, and three steps or components. One, two, and three. With the purpose of seeing disciples made in all nations. So not just being a disciple. But being a, a disciple who makes disciples. Who makes disciples. Who makes disciples. And so when we... Teach someone, we need to teach someone who will then teach someone, who will then teach someone. And so as we do this, our goal is the disciples will be made in all nations. And you know this because this is a very mission-minded church. That when the Bible speaks of the nations, it's not speaking of the the 200 and whatever nations that there are, countries in the world. The word it uses, the word it uses in the text is ethne, and that is ethnic groups. 
And when I was in seminary, we had to memorize, we had to learn every country and every capital on the globe, the whole planet. And, um, and we were ticked because about that time, the, uh, the USSR broke up into multiple different countries and added to the list. And we're thinking, man. So we had to memorize and think of all of these words we didn't know and have someone pronounce them so we could understand them. But there's over 11,000 different people groups. 200 and some countries, but 11,000 people groups. Ethne, people who are a collective group who understand in a specific heart language. And so we know, because we've been through the Bible this past year, and we know that in Revelation it speaks of people from every tribe, tongue, nation around the throne. We know they're there. And we see in Matthew 28 how they're going to get there because he commands us to go make disciples of all ethne. And so we are going to serve the world by doing that. Not just Gates County, but Gates County is part of the world. And there's definitely an ethne here. A certain language, a certain heart language, an understanding in the gospel. And so it's not just a general command to make disciples in as many nations as possible. It's a specific command to make disciples in every nation. And, and what we know is... <clears throat> is all the easy ones are taken. You know, all the easy ones, the ones that understand our language and don't stab us and kill us and stuff. There's missionaries there sharing the gospel and there's people making disciples there. But good night, there are tons that that have zero believers, zero people who know Christ to share Christ. And so we have work to do. And so I think where we are, my goal here is to show us, people who have been in church a lot over our lives, and we know, we know that the Bible says, make disciples. I want us to, to take the next step in being disciples who make disciples who then can make disciples. And you understand that. And that means he's told us to make disciples. And then we trust him who has all authority in the location of where he is going to lead us. Is he going to lead us to Senegal? Is he going to lead us to Suffolk? Where is he going to lead us? But wherever he leads us, no matter where that is, we're commanded to make disciples and trust him for the location. Through the years, we have we've prayed for the, for the nations. We've, every week, we would pray for a different people group and 
there's uh, you Google, what is it, Joshua? Yes, Joshua Project or Operation World. These are two good places to search just to get ethnic groups, just to, to see how many different heart languages and, and people groups there are throughout this world that we can pray for. And, and I share this story all the time because I'm very, very proud to do so and what God has done. But we were asked the question and we went and, and just spent the day with David Platt. And David Platt, he was the leader of the International Mission Board. And he's a pastor in D.C. At, at this point in time. And he wrote the book Radical and all of that. And, and at the time, they were trying to, to change the way missions is done. Before, it had been churches pool money through the cooperative program. And anybody in churches that feel called to be missionaries, they're filtered to the International Mission Board, sends them to the nations. And, and while they still certainly do that, they also wanted to, they asked the question, can you do your job that you do right now in the U.S.? Can you do your job overseas? And, you know, we found in this last year, a lot of people can do their job from anywhere they have Internet and Zoom meetings and, and all kinds of... Anyway, the point is, there is this big move, and there still is, of businessmen who want to make disciples of the nations, they will pack their family up and they will go to another nation. And they're working. They're doing their job online, but at the same time, they're meeting people, learning another heart language, and welcoming people into the kingdom. And they're making disciples. And I'm thinking, wow, that is like Paul. <laughs> You know, it was a tent maker, and you can make a tent anywhere you go that you can find the stuff, right? Are we at the place in our relationship with Christ where we pray to the God who is authority, who is in authority over heaven and earth, and say, wherever you lead, whatever you want for your glory? Wherever you go, without a qualifier, wherever you want in this whole entire globe, that's where I'll go. Because you've commanded me to make disciples. You've even told me it's not just in any nation, it's every nation. And so what I need to do is just be open to where is God leading me to make disciples. And then he closes it out. By assuring us of his presence. And so it, the first part is he assures us of his authority. The second, the last part is he's assuring us of his presence. And so wherever he wants to lead you, 
wherever he calls you to take your family or wherever he is leading you to go make disciples, you know that he is in authority there too and he is in you. His presence goes with you no matter where he leads you. And we know... I'm filtering. There are classes that go on all the time teaching how to grow a church. And I get so frustrated in these classes that teach people how to grow a church. And, well, the first thing you do is you get a, a group of people and you you start in your house, but then as you pull your money, you you advertise to everybody and then you start giving things away or whatever it is, T-shirts to, to draw attention and you're building your brand and then you build your building and and then you just, you market, you market who you are to the world and you draw them in. And when you draw them in, you want to draw them in with the best. You want, you want the show, you want the, the screens, you want the smoke machines, you want, you want it big because that's what people expect. That's what they see in the world, that's what they see on TV. And so when you grow a church, you can grow a big church by doing it this way. The only thing wrong with that is, It's not the biblical way. Jesus says to Peter, On this rock I will build my church. And so in that statement, who's building the church? God's building His church. And so who are we to think that we are going to take God's job from him and do it better? That's dumb. And so I want to propose to you, as we're studying the words of who we are as a church, if we are doing all this for his glory then let us focus on doing it the way he says to do it. By making disciples. In his authority, with his presence, doing it the way he says in his word. And, and you just can't for $79.99 buy a Lifeway package and lead a program and suddenly you have disciples made. When he says, I will build my church. And he tells us to make disciples. And he says, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he assures us he'll be with us. And so for these last three weeks, including today, when you agreed to be a, a, a part of this faith family, this is us. 
This is our passion. This is the reason that we exist. And so, when you see things in other churches, and you say, why don't we do it like this? That church does that. Why don't we do that? Or they have smoke machines. Why can't we have smoke machines? Or whatever it is. This is us. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is why we do it. Because the bottom line, it is for God's glory. It is not for my glory. We don't want streets named after us. We don't want pews named after us. This is not who we are. It is for His glory. And so for His glory, we strive to be disciples according to His definition of disciple in order to also make disciples who will then make disciples. We want to be reproducers of the Word. And and my prayer is for you that you get this part. We don't want a church we can build. You know, I've seen some of your carpentry skills. But the biggest encouragement to me is this. When he says, on this rock I will build my church, he says the gates of hell cannot stand against it. You know, when we follow him in his power, in his way, to do what he said to do for his glory... Satan, bring it. He cannot prevail. It might not be pretty to our neighbor. It might not pay the mortgage like we're hoping and we define church. But we don't exist as a church to pay the mortgage. We exist as a church to give God glory. And that's what we're going to do. And there is nothing sacred other than what he said. Nothing. We don't have chairs with our names on it. And if he tells us to sell them, they're gone. Because we exist for his glory. And so I want us to get it. This is why we exist. Don't get attached. Don't get attached. Don't get attached to your own life. Don't get attached to your chair. Don't get attached to the building. And we're not trying to sell everything. We're not trying to sell anything. I'm just making the point that we exist for His glory. We don't exist for the crowd. We exist for the applause of heaven. Amen? Hey, would you stand with me as we pray? God, we thank You so much for Your Word. And Lord, even the the parts that aren't easy to read, aren't easy to understand. and Lord, even the parts that are so familiar that sometimes we miss the point. And so, Lord, I pray that as we, as we hear this word, that you challenge us and that you encourage us. Lord, that we would be encouraged because we are we're under your authority. And that we're living in your strength. And that as we do that, we cannot fail. And so, Lord, I pray that you would build your kingdom here. That you would 
calls the darkness to flee. And that all of this, Lord, that you do in your great name for your glory alone. And Father, I pray that you would grow us each to the place where this is our goal. This is our passion. And that we don't want to look like the world. But we want to give everything we have in this life to be more like you. So that you are glorified. And in the process, we know that you will do what you want to do. We know that you'll build your church because you tell us that you will. And so, Lord, we pray for Abundant Hope Baptist Church. That you will lead us to be the church. And that you will not allow us to hold on to anything that we could hold back from you. That we place everything on the altar, including ourselves. And that if you want to take our lives, it's yours to take. If you want to take our money, it's yours to take. If you want to take our fame, if you want to take our house, whatever it is, God, help us to trust your authority and to keep our eyes on our purpose. And to keep our eyes on our home because our home is not here. Our home is with you forever. And so, Lord, as we have these moments to respond to, to this word and to your spirit in our hearts, Father, I pray that as you transform us, that you use this time even to spur us on to you. And Lord, that we would pray, that we would prepare to walk, in following you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.